Rewind of the Living Dead is brought to you by ReanimatedRecords.com. Fair warning, Rewind of the Living Dead is a review show, so spoilers are ahead. Dracula, Frankenstein, The Wolfman. These were all staples of the Universal Monsters line made famous by performances from actors such as Bela Lugosi and Boris Karloff. Years later, Universal decided to relaunch a new monstrous universe based around those same iconic characters, but a disastrous attempt at remaking The Mummy starring Tom Cruise cast doubts that the great monsters of old would ever rise again. That was until 2020 when Lee Wanell, previously known as the creator of the Saw franchise, wrote and directed a movie co-produced by Blumhouse on a small budget of just $7 million. Starring Elizabeth Moss in the lead role as a wife desperate to get away from her abusive husband, The Invisible Man put a tech spin on an old classic from H.G. Wells. In the latest episode of Rewind of the Living Dead, we're going to put some flour on the floor and keep the paint cans ready as we talk about the 2020 horror film, The Invisible Man. Living Dead. I am Damon Martin. And I'm Patrick Guerra. And uh, Patrick, it's kind of funny because the, the audience doesn't really skip a beat because we record these shows ahead of time. And so we put them out week to week. Of course, we just dropped our holiday special uh, with Gremlins not not too yeah. long ago. But we've actually not recorded a podcast for like a week and a half because you've had work and, and the holidays and everything. So it feels weird because we, we are so on the ball with the recording podcasts that uh, we actually took like a week and a half off recording. And it feels weird. Yeah, I should have put in the in the intro, fair warning, I'm super rusty. <laughs> if you think I'm bad with names on a normal week, uh, you know, I've taken almost two weeks off and uh, I'm damn terrible with names. So I'm going to butcher a lot of things on this episode, but that'll be part of the fun. Well, we get, you know, the, the fun part about that is, is you get into a rhythm and uh, we have definitely gotten into a rhythm with this show. And I obviously want to thank everyone that has been tuning in subscribing to the podcast on apple and all the other places so thank you for that but uh as we closed out the year with 2020 you know there was a lot you know it was a weird year obviously for everybody with the pandemic but it was also you know it's weird because i think i've said this on the show before because we have reviewed a few movies from 2020 on the podcast anything for jackson scare me host uh, a couple others and it's weird because horror is a genre that in a lot of ways has kind of thrive during the pandemic because so many great horror films really don't make it, you know, that far into the theaters. Usually you discover a lot of really good horror films, you know, just from places like Shudder. Hey, Shudder. You know, obviously Amazon Prime, Netflix, you know, you don't, again, there are definitely big budget or, or, you know, movies that end up in theaters, but a lot of great horror really does end up kind of like the on-demand, you know, sort of thing. So this year being the pandemic, you know, horror has kind of thrived during that because that's kind of how the horror typically thrives year to year anyways. But uh, there was a cu- there were a couple of movies that did land in theaters this year, and, and the movie we're going to be reviewing tonight was one of those movies. Actually, it was the last movie I saw in movie theaters uh, back in February, and that is The Invisible Man. 
Yeah, The Invisible Man. I'm really bummed that I didn't get to see this in the theaters. Um, the last movie I saw in the theaters, well, actually, technically now it's Tenet. I did go out and see Tenet because, like, there was nobody in the theaters here in town. So it was like, and you can see, like, I have the app, so you can see and, like, oh, okay, no one has booked it. So I'd, like, watch Tenet all by myself. But before that, way back in, like, March, the last thing I watched was Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which sounds like a horror movie on the surface. Truth be told, it's like a total artsy-fartsy movie, <laughs> and I love those, and I had a lot of fun doing that. But The Invisible Man was one that I really wanted to see in the theater. Like, I, I any normal year, and this is our year-end show, right? Uh, any normal year, I go to the movies and I attempt to see at least 100 movies in the theater every year i have the like the little subscription and i try to i try to get in there every year and i'm, I'm super bummed you know things happen this year uh with the pandemic and all that I'm, I'm bummed for for hardcore moviegoers but like damon said horror is one of those things where it's available in a lot of places and that was really cool and it was cool to be able to watch invisible man i think my wife and i actually rented it i think you know and, and that's cool too if you just want to rent it uh, on demand, you don't feel safe going to a movie theater. It makes total sense. Do what you got to do. Do what's good for you. And uh, and if they are on demand, you can you can show your support by by renting it. And that's what we did. And uh, Damon, I, I thought I thought it was a pretty cool movie. And 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 you in the intro, you talked about the MonsterVerse that Universal was attempting to kind of reboot with uh, with Mummy, and they got crashed and failed. And then out of nowhere, they went, well, what if we what if we let Blumhouse do this? And that was a great idea. Yeah, so here's the thing with like horror movies in theaters. Like I am definitely an opening weekend kind of guy for mm -hmm. every movie I go see. I'm a big Marvel, you know, I like the blockbuster. I'm a big Marvel movie fan. I'm you know, I, I'm I'm that guy. I love going to the movies. And so this year has really killed me because I absolutely love it. Anytime like Same. I'm bored or or there's a, a Thursday or Friday night I got nothing going on, chances are you'll find me at a movie theater. I love going to the movies, and so this year has really killed me in that sense. But especially when there is a great horror movie, you know, in the theater, even if it's a big budget horror movie, I saw the new uh, Child's Play remake in the theater. Yeah, now that's too. now that's the first time in a long time I've actually contemplated getting up and walking out of a movie uh, <laughs> because it was so hor horrifically bad. But Aww. I I will go see it. Like I, the Lodge came out this year, and it was like one of those kind of like you know limited re release kind of movies. So I had to kind of like seek out a theater here in town to go find it and see it. And I saw it and it was awesome and I loved seeing it. Uh, so I love seeing horror movies in theaters because there is a, a great feeling about being in a movie theater and seeing a horror movie. You know what I mean? Seeing the, the reaction from the audience. I remember when I saw Paranormal Activity and I remember the reaction from the audience and seeing that in the theater. So there is something special about seeing a horror movie in a theater. And The Invisible Man, I gotta be honest, um, after The Mummy came out and The Mummy was just terrible... Mm -hmm. Uh, I had extremely low expectations for Invisible Man. Now, I want to say that typically when I say those kind of things, uh, you know, and I'm saying I'm pleasantly surprised, that usually means it just wasn't awful. But this was actually really well done, and I was actually shocked how much I liked it because, A, never really been a, an Invisible Man fan. Like, Hollow Man was kind of like the, the modern version of that, the, the Kevin yeah. Bacon movie, and that yeah, wasn't very good, and... I've never, like, Invisible Man has never been, like, an iconic character to me, like Dracula or Frankenstein or even the creature from the Black Lagoon years later. Um, 
But like, I, I went in very low expectations, and I was stunned by how much I liked this movie, how well it was done. And then to find out yeah. it was only a $7 million budget, and they actually had some really good effects in this movie. I was yeah. like, damn, like seven, I know $7 million to you and me is like life-changing money, but for a movie, that's pretty low budget by, you know, by movie standards. That's like scraping by. That's like, how do you even make this movie? We like someone sat down and went, really? Like someone at Universal was like, how are they? Like, how are they gonna feed everyone? You know, yeah. like seven to them, seven million dollars is impossible. But when you have a Helmer like uh, Lee Wanell, uh, who, by the way, I love the first Saw. I thought the first Saw was uh, like an outstanding film. I, also, he did a great film. I think it was, it might have even been last year, Upgrade. Did you see Upgrade? I did. Yeah, I did. I did. Yeah, like a, a great, again, a probably very similar to this, like super small budget, interesting. Uh, Lee's got a great sense of camera movement, and which which kind of, it's, it's a really important element of horror films, like how you move your camera, where you put your camera. Um, and that, that like jumped out at me, and that's why I was so disappointed after watching The Invisible Man that I didn't get to see it in theaters because I went, oh man, this would have been a great big screen experience. Like to have a big, you know, 100 foot plus screen and and and, and being immersed in the movie because that's the great thing about movie experiences. You sit in there and, and you know, you're not going to open your phone because you don't want to be rude. You better not open your phone, by the way, in the theaters, people. Let me tell you, that's <laughs> super annoying. So you, you, you can't be like thumbing through your phone or the or somebody knocks at the door, your Amazon package is here or whatever. Like you're in that moment. You're just you're sucked in. And I do my best when I'm at home, like put my phone away. I, I turn as many lights off as I can. I try to get all the distractions out of the way to, to bring that movie experience home. I was disappointed that I didn't get to experience this at, at, a, at a theater because of how great uh, Lee Wanell's direction was. Like it, it just it without being like a true horror film it was it was it i've said it many times on this show it established dread from the jump you're in a in a mode where you don't feel safe that's a perfect way to set up your horror film yeah absolutely and a little little thing i didn't know about lee wanell and i never put two and two together on this not only did he write saw but he starred in saw he was the other guy in right. saw guy. and saw and saw two by the way saw two has a tremendous ending i love that ending we will we'll review <laughs> that on the show i'm not a big saw franchise guy i like the first one i like the second one yeah. kind of fell off after that one but one and two both had an incredible premise the ending of two amazing uh, I don't want, I, I won't spoil it for anybody. Do you do you remember the end of Saw Two? Do you remember that movie? Uh, I mean, I, I definitely saw it in the theater. I remember Donnie that. Donnie Wahlberg if, with his son. Do you remember? You kind of remember how that ends? I don't want to spoil it for anyone uh, has. Man, I'll remind you. I'll remind you off the air. I'll remind you off the air. Really cool ending, but yeah, he did Saw One, and I had no idea he starred. Like I don't know if I just never put two and two together that he starred in Saw One. But anyways. Uh, he really did. I mean, what he did with this movie, I was stunned by how well put together it was in every facet, from the direction, from the script, from the delivery in the cast. Uh, the, the as you said, this this overriding sense of dread and like, because you're you know we've seen like to turn this into like an abused you know like a domestic violence situation, which was such a brilliant move to kind of take that twist on this. A woman who is literally terrified, so terrified of her husband that she can't even leave the house. Like that opening scene when she, after she escapes her husband and she's living with her friend and she like, she can't even go out to check the mail. Like you really understand just how terrified she is 
of her husband at that moment. Like it's, they build that tension so well and you don't really get to the invisible man stuff, you know, until about 25 mm-hmm. minutes in when you start getting hints that something else is going on. And it's so well plotted out. And then when it starts again, it's a slow build. They don't what they what I loved about this movie is they didn't they didn't ruin it to be, you know, three minutes in, you're not dealing with the invisible man. It's a real right. slow build, and you're kind of seeing it all through her eyes. Elizabeth Moss, who I'm a big fan of, Handsmaid's Tale, Mad Men, she does she's a tremendous actress, but she does such a great job just elevating the, the, the feelings and she's the only one experiencing it at the beginning which ratchets that up even bigger when no one believes her no one sees what she's seeing no one's understanding what she's going through mm-hmm. and it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse it keeps escalating and oh it was such a such a brilliant execution of that like you said that sense of dread and again were there scary moments in this movie absolutely I think there were some great jump scares there was a couple moments where you're like even that beginning that opening scene that first eight or nine minutes where she's escaping the house to get away from her husband and like her yeah. sister comes to pick her up. That is tension, man. I'm not saying it's scary. I wasn't sitting there like no. shaking in my seat, but the tension, man, you're like, holy crap. Like they did it so well and it was so well plotted and so well executed. Again, I went in with very low expectations. I was blown away, blown away by how well it was done. Yeah. You know that, that, that there was absolutely, I mean, the, the execution is incredible in this film. And and I was a little frustrated at the trailers for this film because I thought the trailers gave away so much of the film. But what happens when you're, you know, and it, and in my opinion, it kind of does give away a lot of like the key. Uh, I don't want to say scares, but like there's information in the trailer that sort of tells you enough about the movie. But once you get into the movie, once you're on the ride, it's really more about her trying to prove that she's not insane to the rest of the world. Like that sort of becomes the the big uh, the the big uh, uh, driving force of the film. Because as a as a moviegoer, who if you're like myself, you watch the trailers and stuff like that, you realize, oh, I already know like how it works. He's got a suit. He's got a suit that makes him invisible. Okay, and uh, and and you even kind of see glimpses of it in the trailer and all that stuff, but where the tension lied was was lying for me was was people not realizing that she was telling the truth and how well he set up this scenario that made her look crazy because he has this absolutely like diabolical plot to like control her and it's about like you said thematically it's about abusive relationships so he's trying to turn the world against her so she has absolutely no choice but to come back to him and that in and of itself is terrifying. That in and of itself creates an incredible sense of dread. Uh, and, and there's something to that. That's truly reimagining this stuff. The Mummy with Tom Cruise. Now, I, people bag on Tom Cruise just to bag on Tom Cruise. I don't normally. Like, like yeah, he's a weirdo. So what? I, like a, I love the Mission Impossible movies. But that Tom Cruise movie with The Mummy, it was just like – it was it was Mission Impossible slap a mummy in it, you know, <laughs> like it wasn't a re-envisioning. It wasn't a reimagining. Uh, and that's why it ultimately failed. It just kind of did a bunch of big Hollywood things and it fell super flat because you didn't do something different. The Invisible Man really was just about a woman. It, you know, the Invisible Man was and, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Damon. Invisible Man in past times, the Invisible Man was kind of the hero. So wasn't it? Was this a completely different take where it's like the Invisible Man's the bad guy, the boogeyman, the monster in the room? Kinda, yeah. I mean, this is kind of that. You know what I mean? Like the way they've kind of turned it on its head. 
and and kind of made it, you know, again, they, this is a completely different film than what you probably would have expected. You know what I mean? If you were thinking yeah. about The Invisible Man, this is definitely a different kind of film like that. And um, one thing I will say, and I agree with you, I think, I think in general, and I don't mean just about this movie, I think in general trailers give away way too much of films nowadays. Yeah. Like, you know so much about a movie, and sometimes... Like, sometimes, like, I've gone into movies, and the only parts I really enjoyed about a movie was what was in the actual trailer, because nothing else really delivered in the actual movie. Um, But with this one, they did give away too much, I agree, but what I really liked was the creativity, not only about, again, kind of turning the... The, the story on its head about, you know, the, a domestic violence situation. And as you said, and if you've ever been around anyone who's ever been living in a domestic violence situation, it's, it's obviously horrific and I don't want to get too serious here, but that's kind of the feeling is you don't, you know, you feel like you feel alone, you feel isolated and, uh, and, and you feel like, you know, you have no one else to turn to. And that's re- the, literally the plot of this entire movie is that, you know, he's trying to make her, you know, basically, you know, make everyone turn against her. So as you said, she has nowhere left to go, but back to him. Uh, and that's, yeah. that's the center of, of, of violence of, of an abusive relationship. You, you know, that's kind of what they want. You know, that's, that's what your abuser wants. And it's so well done in this movie. What I also really liked about this, and you mentioned it was kind of spoiled a little bit in the trailers, but what I liked was the inventive nature of the invisibility in this movie. It was a yeah. technology thing. It was a guy who was like an optics expert. And I loved that because, again, I, you know, I was going in thinking, oh, here we go. It's going to be some sort of, you know, potion he drinks and he turns him right. invisible, you know, because that's kind of the trope that has always been the invisible man. I mean, that's, you know, when you look at, you look at, uh, you know, Hollow Man, you look at, you know, the, the older Invisible Man movies, it's always some, you know, some potion that the person drinks. And it suddenly makes them invisible and then, you know, whatever. Uh, this was such a, a different take on that. And I loved that. I loved that it was such a different take on that. And it literally, was, it was technology. And that, I mean, this, again, that's believable. Like, where we're at today with technology, like, you could actually see that happening. And, and that was a really, really smart, really original take on that. I really enjoyed that part. Yeah, I think he kind of approached it the way like a Zack Snyder or Chris Nolan does, where it's like, how do we ground this as as close to reality as possible? And like, and then he he goes like one step further and is like, okay, there's no there's no magic to this at all. There's it's straight tech, and you know it's it's gonna it's gonna work in this way, and it, it's super clever and uh, really. It, 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 now it goes beyond like now I'm not even talking about the tech of, of, of the of the movie anymore or or of the of the Invisible Man anymore. I'm talking about like even the tech used to create a lot of the effects that are sold in the movie is done really well. Um, the 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 great scene, this amazing scene where she's being attacked by him in the kitchen, uh, where she's getting kind of thrown around and dragged. That's all practical. That was all like practically done. Um, they, you know, they, they did some wire work and stuff and then they removed the wires in post, but otherwise they're just dragging Elizabeth Moss around this thing and, and, or around the kitchen rather. And, uh, and the camera's following in just the right way. I mean, it's super cool, man. Just cool, like head to toe, a really well done film and a great horror film in this respect. It controls the perspective, right? So what's important to pretty much any film, never mind a horror film is perspective, but in a horror film, you really have to have control of the perspective. You have to be with our protagonist and not be able to look around a corner, not be able to see what's just around, just just out of eyesight, 
to allow for dread, to allow for uh, uh, scares, scares to pop out because you want to look around the corner. You're like, man, this is getting too tense. I want to see what's happening. Like just, just by nature, you want to do that. This movie is able to control it and it's such in a brilliant way and it, and it allows for everything to be unsettling. You feel like you're being stalked along with Elizabeth Moss's character. It's so cool. I love I love the execution of this film. Yeah, and you watch it and like what I love about it is is that you know, you really do put yourself into her shoes and that to me is really the sign of a great movie when you can really you're not only sympathizing with the lead character but you're kind of putting yourself in their shoes because yeah. there are certain moments like Obviously, the, the 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 secondary characters, the other the other lead characters in the movie, like there are moments in there where you're kind of like like with uh with Aldous Hodge, who is a, a great actor, plays James. Uh, yeah. he, he's a phenomenal actor. He's on uh you know uh, he was in uh, the uh, Straight Outta Compton movie. Uh, he was in that new that show that's uh, City on a Hill that's on Showtime, which I really enjoy. Aldous Hodge is great. And yeah. he is such a phenomenal, like, again, you know, obviously this is very much an Elizabeth Moss movie and she deserves all the credit is that, you know, really just, you know, leading everything to do with this movie. But Aldous Hodge does such a great job and he's such a, such a calming presence in her life. And you're sitting there thinking, man, I want him to believe her. Why don't you believe her? But then you see all these things oh. happen and you're like, well, yeah, he wouldn't believe her. Like he wouldn't, no one's seeing this. You know what I mean? Like, and, and, he, and the, the way yeah. it's executed is so well done. That the guy or her husband, Adrian, is doing everything so specifically in a way that like you wouldn't believe her, and they and it and it and again it escalates throughout the film until it finally gets to the point where she's put into you know an asylum, she's put into a you know mental ward uh, because they, they again it just escalates, and and you're you're sitting there and you're seeing, man, come on, believe her, believe her, but then when you think about it, you're like you're like, well, I guess like you you know like I if somebody in my household was telling me somebody was stalking me and I had no proof of it and I couldn't see it, I probably think they're going loony too, you know what I mean? So it's just just so yeah. well done and and again one of the big problems like we talked about and i know this is like the worst comparison in the world but one of the biggest problems we had when we talked about a movie 30 miles from nowhere which was <laughs> probably our critically least favorite movie of 2020 was that there was none of the characters we didn't like any of the characters we did not like did not relate did not enjoy any of the characters and that's a problem in your horror films you want your audience to at least on some level sympathize with somebody in your movie. You know what I mean? And they yeah. do such an incredible job of building up Cecilia, her character, Elizabeth Moss's character is like, she's sympathetic, but she's also strong. She's, you know, she's, you see that inner strength building up within her throughout the movie and you sympathize with her, you root for her. You, you find yourself, you, know, you really like this character. Uh, and again, that to me is, is one of the strongest signs of a great script and a great movie is when you find yourself, you know, in that place for your lead character. That's what you want. That's exactly what they're trying to invoke. And they did a brilliant job of that. Yeah, really solid, solid script. Like it's it's a really hard script to pick apart. There's a couple there's a couple of weird moments like in the in that opening sequence where she's escaping the house. It's like why why does her sister pull up and go, What's going on? Her sister knows exactly what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> like like it's really like there's little things like that that you can you can kind of pick out of this movie. But otherwise, in truth, it's it's solid acting. Uh, Elizabeth Moss carries the film really, really well. Like it's one of those things where like should it's a 2020 film. She should probably be in the discussion for the Oscar for best actress this year for The Invisible Man. But and horror films always get passed over. Like Lupita Nyong'o last year with Us. 
Um, I didn't think Us was like the greatest horror film or anything like that, but I thought she did incredibly well. She should have got recognition for it. Um, uh, not is it Tony Collette? Yeah, Tony Collette in Hereditary. Was it? Am I? Am I? Is that who I'm thinking of? Yeah, it is Tony yeah, Collette. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hereditary. yeah. Yeah, like she should have gotten a nomination for Hereditary. She was incredible in Hereditary. Elizabeth Moss is incredible in this film. Her cast of supporting actors really sell it. Um, and the idea is bulletproof, like such a solid idea. Like I would have, I would have loved to have been in the room when Lee Winnell like slid the pitch across the desk, you know, literally or figuratively, however they did it, and they were like, "Oh yeah, we have to make this movie." Like there's like yeah. Why didn't I think of that? Perfect. Great, great idea. Such a solid idea. It gives me a ton of hope for the MonsterVerse, for, for Universal going forward, because now they see, oh, if we do it like this, where we don't just throw money at it, we throw great ideas at it, that turns into this really cool, like, I'm excited for the Wolfman, which I think the rumor is Ryan Gosling is going to be the Wolfman. Yeah. I'm excited for what that could possibly be. You know, I, uh, I'm excited for what a Frankenstein movie could possibly be now, uh, because it's very clear that this is how you want to tackle these monster movies, um, the, the classic monster movies, re-envisioning this way in a, in a way that you can touch and feel and, and be put in the seat and be absolutely thrilled from start to finish. Yeah, and listen, there's going to be some horror fans that are going to dislike what I'm about to say, but it's it's the truth. And when you get uh, when you get, listen, there are a million great horror movies out there with a cast of people you've never heard of. And I would you know I would you know if you tell me you watch Nightmare on Elm Street, which of course I've said on this show many many times is my franchise. I'm a Nightmare on Elm Street fan. Heather Langenkamp and the first one and the third one is as good as any actress you're going to see working today. She does such an, a phenomenal job selling that part. But Heather Langenkamp never really went on to do much of anything else. She was pretty much, you know, she's always kind of been a, a bit of a scream queen. I know she did Just just the Ten of Us, which I'm sure there's a lot of Just the Ten of Us fans out there. Uh, but she, was ne <laughs> she never went on to do a ton of stuff, but I thought she was phenomenal in that. But one of the things that you get, and again, I think there are a lot of great horror films out there with actors and actresses who only do horror or you only see them in a couple of roles and you never really see them again and they pull it off and they do a great job. So I'm not taking a dig at them in any way, shape, or form. Some of my favorite horror films of all time have a cast that you've never heard of or probably will never hear of again. But when you get a movie like this that is so well-written and so well-executed and so well-directed, all these kind of things... Elizabeth Moss, who is a, you know, obviously she's an Emmy winning actress for Handmaid's Tale. She did Mad Men. She's done other movies. She is an incredible actress. When you bring her into a role like this, she just elevates it. She brings it up a notch because mm -hmm. you can't imagine another actress playing this role and doing it as well as she did it. You know what I mean? Like you need yeah. like Elizabeth Moss raises the bar as great as the invisible man is. And it is great. Script is great. Direction is great. Execution is very, very well done. Everything in this movie I enjoy, but when you add somebody like Elizabeth Moss to this movie, you just raise it. And Aldous Hodge, I'll, I'll throw him in there as well. Aldous Hodge is, as her friend yeah. James. Another one, you need a guy, you need that kind of friend that, that just, it's just such a well, executed uh casting that like it raises the bar and, and again i'm not saying that's across the board you need a-list actors to sell a horror movie because that's absolutely not true because a lot of my favorite horror movies again have cast you've never heard of but i think in this role because it is so centered on that one character that you need somebody like elizabeth moss and she does such a great job and then when you kind of roll it all together i mean again when you put everything together in this movie 
It's just a really well done movie. Um, mm-hmm. and, and again, the fact that they did it for $7 million tells you that this isn't, you know, this wasn't, they were not betting big on this movie. They were not like, they were not, they were not throwing this other thing. We're going to make over a hundred million dollars at the, at the box office. They were throwing this out there saying, Oh God, we hope we make something of this movie. Ended up making over $143 million at the box office, which is huge for a horror film, but even bigger for a horror film, only spending $7 million. Uh, but again, they were not betting big on this movie. After The Mummy, they're pretty much like, well, let's just roll the dice and see what we get. And then, boom, they yeah. end up with this movie. And it, again, it, it was it was just so well issued. Definitely one of the best movies of the year. And I say that of, of the year, not horror. I'm talking best movies of the year. Mm, yeah, it could be in the conversation with best movies of 2020. Absolutely. I don't know where it, I I'm actually not going to put together. I normally put together a best of 2020 list, but because I because of the pandemic and the the inability to see a lot of movies this year, I'm not going to do it. Um, but yeah, this would have to be somewhere in the conversation of of top 10, pr- perhaps best movies of the year. Uh, and, and, and just what you're saying, you know, some horror fans are going to be annoyed by the idea of elevated horror. Uh, some some fans like it boiled down low budget, cheesy acting, you know, they, they kind of, they like, they want it like in a very specific delivery package. I'm kind of the opposite where I'm like, how do we, how do we get it to the point that we almost need to give it an Oscar? Like, that's how I want kind of all my horror films to be. And I'm talking all, all the way up to slashers. Like, like you have, like, to me, I've said it since the inception of the show, intentional filmmaking makes for a better film and and we we all win like everybody wins you get a film that stands the test of time that you can show to anybody and say see like horror is and can be like an art form a re- a true real art form uh, and even in the even in the low budget sphere even in the uh, the traumas of 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 uh, of the horror uh, uh, space but truly to me the best of them, the best, the ones we always rave about. The, when I think of movies like Alien, when I think of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, we talked about The Shining on this on this show. It's when you take a horror film and you go, we're, we're going to make a film first and a horror film second. And that's what this does. And it's super effective. It's super enjoyable. And I think, you know, like it, it, it's undeniable, which is kind of what we as the, the, the horror weirdos want. We want our place at the table. And a movie like this does that you know uh, we don't always have to follow the rules and you and i love return of the living dead and it's clearly you know kind of cheap and silly and and there's a bunch of weird gags in it that's awesome and i and i want that too but i want movies like this that are taken very seriously you don't have to spend a lot of money i actually think that when you throw money at something uh it becomes it you like you you sort of you gloss over your problems. You go, well, just just throw some cash at it, and we'll figure it out. When you when you have this budget, and Bloomhouse very wisely does this, they don't spend their big money on their films. They kind of they have a very specific cap that they put on their films. All their films, like for the most part, people praise these films. They love these films. I think that even that new uh, Halloween that they did with David Gordon Green, I'm pretty sure they didn't spend over like $14 million on that film. I don't no, think, it was, I don't it think was they a pretty, would... It was a pretty cheap film. Yeah, it was a pretty cheap film yeah. to make, yeah. And when you do that, it, you rely on your, uh, your ability as a filmmaker and a storyteller to get the job done, not the money. 
And then it becomes just something where you're like, damn, that was good. I don't know why, but that was so good. Well, because intention was put behind it. And, uh, and man, I, you know, this is, this is up there. Invisible man is 100% up there. Yeah, I agree. All right. We got a lot of categories to get to with invisible man. Uh, so we're going to kick things off as we do each and every week here on rewind of the living dead with our best and worst performances from this movie. Uh, best performance. I'm just going to go ahead and spoil it here because yep. this is very much a, an Elizabeth Moss movie. Uh, it would be kind of disingenuous to pick anybody else. Uh, so let's just rave about Elizabeth Moss <laughs> in this movie because obviously it's your best performance. It's my best performance. Yeah. If you're watching this movie you, you and you enjoy this movie, it's got to be Elizabeth Moss. We talk a lot on this show about um, having to do a lot of the heavy lifting. I think we use that phrase a lot on this show, heavy lifting. This movie is Elizabeth Moss. You 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 are in news 99 99% of the movie and she carries it flawlessly like she just knows how to carry you through every different scenario that she's encountering and every different emotional beat she has to hit like she's doing all the work and where it really hit me where I was like well yeah of course this is going to be her even even it seems obvious at first like right off the top but when you're really diving deep and analyzing the movie the scenes in the um in the in the uh, uh, psych ward, when when they're they've they've institutionalized her because they think she's insane, the just the way she can kind of like turn just ratchet it up a notch, like she is going crazy because no one believes her, no one believes what's going on. Her sister's just been killed. The the police think that she's killed her sister and all that stuff, and she's just wailing and screaming and just and just desperate. I was like, man, that that is on another level. Like people can't pull that off. Like what she's pulling off in that moment. I totally buy what's happening. Uh, Damon add to this. Yeah, she, I mean, listen again, Elizabeth Moss is great. You know, I've watched the handmaid's tale. She's great in that show as well. Uh, she's great. Yeah. She's done other great stuff as well, but what she does so well in this movie is she, she is anything but a one note character, which is, which is hard yeah. to do because a lot of horror movies, unfortunately you get kind of wrapped up in a one note character. You're scared all the time. And, and once the scares start, you don't really stop. You know what I mean? Like you're scared all the time. And that's not, I mean that, that can still be a fun movie, but it doesn't really give a lot of actors or actresses a lot of you know, room to stretch their legs, so to speak. Uh, and then again, there are you know, obviously, you know, great examples where that doesn't happen. And this is a, an example of where you see, at the beginning, Cecilia is terrified. She's scared of her husband. She's scared of what he'll do to her. She's so terrified of him, in fact, that she has to literally run away in the middle of the night after drugging him just to get away. And she literally has to move into a friend's house where he can't find her. That's how scared she is. And she plays that so well. Like I said, just those moments where she's like stepping out to check the mail and you just see this like mm -hmm. she's I mean, she is so scared of her husband that like he's going to come up in that one moment she walked outside and then she starts to get her strength back a little bit after you know they they say that he's dead and he killed himself she starts to get that strength back she starts to you know try to get a job again and trying to get her place back but then the insanity sets in where everyone thinks she's lying or they don't believe like someone's coming after her, even though it is actually her husband coming after her and then you see her kind of you know slowly devolve into madness a little bit like is she actually going mad you know is she actually starting to lose it because no one believes that she's you know going through this 
Uh, and then you see it all kind of from her eyesight, and then you see her regain her strength again as she gets out of the as she gets out of the psych ward, and eventually you know goes back to her husband and all that kind of. Again, it's a, it's a very multifaceted role. It's a very well executed role. And again, she goes through so many different levels in this movie. She goes from terrified to to getting her life back to to you know paranoid uh, you know to feeling like she's going you know devolving into madness and then getting her strength back again and it's a different kind of strength this time because she's not just rid of him she's fighting back against him and like all these yeah. different things are rolled into one and she I mean again I agree with you I know it won't happen I know when the Oscar nominations come out she won't get uh, an award or a nomination for this movie but I 100 I would argue with anybody telling me that there was there was 10 better performances this year than elizabeth moss in this movie yeah it's it sucks i i mean i i want to be proven wrong i want this year you know like they're they're actually moving the oscars to i think april because of everything that's happened um there's room there's room folks and uh and she deserves it you know she's i everybody has seen something elizabeth moss is in she does a, she does a great job damon nails it you know, right on the head she just she she can she can deliver every note on the scale she really can from super subtle to manic like she can do it all and she does it all incredibly well like I, I, you can't rave enough about that performance yeah she did a phenomenal job all right worst performance now i'm gonna say this ahead of time for me now i'm not gonna i'm not speaking for you but i will say when i say worst performance in the movie i actually thought everyone did a pretty good job like i did not think this was like one of those movies where there's one like really truly terrible performance uh but because I, I actually thought everything was pretty well done in this movie but that's my opinion your opinion what did you say was the worst performance in this movie i, I echo damon's statement you know this is a well done movie with a lot of incredibly good actors in it we have to there's like a podcast like law that we have to follow that people don't know about if we don't do this we get we get our license pulled so we have <laughs> to put worst performance in here uh but mine actually it, for for actually, uh, I'm, I genuinely didn't like his performance. It was uh, Oliver Jackson Cohen as Adrian, the Invisible Man, the bad guy, her husband, her insane psycho husband. Whenever he had to speak, um, he, to me, I was not intimidated by this guy. Like I was intimidated by his actions. I was intimidated by the, by what Elizabeth Moss could reflect. But when he had to do something, I didn't buy it at all. Like it just it's something about that did not work with me. Uh, I, I don't. It, his delivery, I, I don't know. Like, just, he, he couldn't match her. You know, it's tough to act across from somebody like an Elizabeth Moss. And I, in my opinion, I don't think he, he got it this time. It's, it, but it's a hard gig. I mean, a lot of people are going to look rough next to her. Yeah, I'll say this. I actually, I really like Oliver Jackson Cohen. He's in from the Haunting series. He was in Haunting of Hill House and Haunting of Bly Manor both. So he's kind of like one of those Mike Flanagan guys. Uh, I, mm. I, I'll agree. I didn't think he was the strongest in this movie, but I will say this is that, you know, he's he really the actor himself is only in the movie for a few minutes. You know what I mean? Ultimately. Right. Yeah. And it's hard when you have this, this kind of, this just evil. I mean, you, you've had it built up so much throughout the entire movie of what this guy was, you know, and, and then the way, I mean, God, the way he comes after his wife after she leaves him only speaks yeah. to like how his true hideous nature. And it's, it's almost like you, you, you can't, you know, it's almost like when you pull back the mask and you, and you see the guy underneath, there's just, it's hard to live up to that. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like totally. it, it would be hard for anybody to live up to that in those moments. And then on top of that, you're sitting across from freaking Elizabeth Moss, who is killing it in this movie, literally. So I give him a bit of a, you know what I mean? Like I, I agree. I didn't think he was sure. that strong, but 
I think I, there was a lot of factors working against him in this movie. A biggest one being is that he's really not in it until the very end. And then at that point, yeah. you've kind of, you've had this character built up so much in your mind, man. Unless, like I said, unless you pull back that mask and, you know, Hannibal Lecter pops out, it's not going to live up to your expectation because this guy has just been such a, you know, just a vile person this entire time. Yeah. It's almost like you, you can't imagine it's like a normal dude. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah, yeah. I, I agree. It was not the strongest, but I just, you know, I almost, I almost feel bad for the guy. Like he had to step into that moment. You know what I mean? So, um, that's a tough one. Yeah. For me, worst performance. And again, I'm saying this with a grain of salt. I really didn't think anyone was bad in this movie, but the one role that I was kind of like, eh, you know, he didn't, he didn't quite sell me was, was Michael Dorman as the brother, Tom Griffin. Uh, he's kind of, he's, he's kind of like the, the Weasley younger brother of the lead character. And, you know, he's kind of like his, his brother's puppet in a way, you know what I mean? Like his brother's kind of controlling him, but there was a couple of moments in the movie because he does, he's, he does have to do some heavy lifting because he is kind of, you know, almost like the surrogate for Adrian, you know, in this movie, because you don't see Adrian a lot. And there's a couple moments where I'm just like, I don't really buy it. You know what I mean? Like when he's trying to be sympathetic, I didn't buy it as sympathetic. Uh, and then, and then when he does kind of turn a corner later in the movie, I'm kind of like, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, he's not, again, I, I'm nitpicking here, but uh, there's a couple sure. moments where I just didn't quite buy it from him. Uh, but again, it's, it's a minor, very, very minor objection. It's not, he didn't ruin the movie. He didn't, you know, he, I wouldn't replace him and say, Oh my God, they should have gone somewhere else. I just felt like there's a couple of moments where like, even like in the beginning when you, when he's trying to display some sort of sympathy like he's trying to sell this idea that he was living under his brother's thumb very much like his wife i never believed it like i never believed that performance interesting i mean to me i think i think he played all the notes the way uh the way the way the character should have so i do disagree um because i i felt i found like when he was being uh you know insincere but trying to be sincere like you know he's clear he's clearly not sorry and and it and it but it's it's kind of coming through weaselly. Like I thought he pulled it off. I thought when he tried to be, uh, you know, comforting, it he pulled it off. Or, and when he and when he could turn the corner, I think I thought he pulled it off. Um, but you know, again, we're nit, we're totally nitpicking in this instance. Like it, it, everybody did a pretty good job overall. Yeah, like I said, I really can't complain again. Even him, like I could, said, that's... could we? Oh yeah, sorry, that's I a... cut you off. <laughs> uh, could could we do a recast of the Living Dead tonight? For the for the final episode of the year, like who would we recast as Adrian, like and give him a little more meat? So it's a combo of rewrite of the Living Dead and now recast the Living Dead. So let's just say we gave the Invisible Man a little more meat right. to chew on, and who would you cast as the Invisible Man? Boy, that's a good question. That's a good question. And again, I I didn't have a huge problem with Oliver Jackson Cohen in the role, but again, he's kind of you know he, he's kind of fighting an uphill battle. Um, and like that, Luke Evans or something. Yeah, I feel like you got to get somebody that's a little bit more intense, intimidating. Yeah, intense and intimidating, yeah. and you know, and and I think like, uh, God, that's a good question, man. I'm trying to think, like Carl Urban. Yeah, maybe like he would be good. I'm trying to think, like, oh well. I mean, listen, I know that you know I'm typecasting him here a little bit, but the intensity there, like the other side of that from the boys, Anthony Starr. 
He's so well yeah. done as Homelander and in, in the boys. Like you yep. think about him yeah. in that role. Oh yeah, actually, it's, you kind of just nailed it by accident there. Yeah, yeah. Like, no, he's, he's he would be a totally great husband to hers. It would make a lot of sense. Yeah, like he's really he's a great actor. I loved him in Banshee, and obviously, the boys was rated on Nerdcore Movement as our top show of the year. Uh, so obviously, I'm a fan. I think like he's got that kind of like smoldering intensity and just like this underlying this underlying evil to him, which obviously he needs <laughs> to pull off in Homelander. I, I think he'd be a great, yeah. I think he'd be a great cast, a great guy for that. Great call, man. Like, <laughs> yeah, I think I, now I'm like kind of upset that he wasn't. And now this movie's ruined for me. Thanks a lot. <laughs> but again, like I said, uh, you, and, and, and it's almost like, you know, it's weird because it almost feels like, you know, like if you would have pulled back the mask and you had that Anthony star guy there at the end, you kind of like, I wish I would have, I wish I would have seen him more, you know, in this movie no, than totally. what we did. Uh, and then that takes away from Elizabeth Moss. So in a way, it's like you almost want the Oliver Jackson Cohen guy who isn't quite as strong, but no, it doesn't, it doesn't take away from Elizabeth Moss, who again is the centerpiece of the story, really. And the story, yeah, the story really is about her paranoia and her abuse and what she's going through. Like, that's really what the story is about. This is not an episode of Rewrite of the Living Dead. <laughs> I don't have a way to rewrite this because I think it's a solid script. Uh, I was just kind of screwing around. I love fantasy casting. Like, oh, I do too. We, should, we could do a whole bonus episode on just fantasy casting where we like, we should come up with like, oh, okay, let's do a, the reboot of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Let's fantasy cast everything. Like, that, that would be fun. Like, we'd yeah. fun with stuff like that. Yeah. I, actually everything in this film was done pretty damn well yeah i would agree i would agree all right now best line this is a funny one because we don't just to like put this out there again i know we've said this on the show before but for anyone maybe didn't listen to certain episodes or whatever uh the way we do this is typically is we both pick the movie and then typically patrick is the one who watches it first he jots out all his best performance, worst performance. He kind of picks the categories, and then I kind of play off of that when we actually do the show. We don't rehearse this ahead of time. I don't. I mean, I know his answers. He doesn't know mine, uh, and we kind of go from there, and then I kind of do the backside on the text stuff. Uh, so I get the music and the lines and things like that ready. So this was completely coincidental. Best line, which is always one of our favorite categories here on the show, it's so funny. His best line literally coincided with my best line in the exact same scene. So rather than cut them up and play them separately, we're going to play them together. My favorite line is from Elizabeth Moss at a conversation she's sitting down having with Adrian's brother inside the psych ward. Uh, after she's gone to the psych ward, Cecilia's been committed, and then his brother, Tom, uh, her husband's brother, Tom, comes to visit her in the, in, the, uh, in the psych ward. And so my favorite line comes from the opening of that scene, and then Patrick's favorite line comes from the t tail end of that scene. So this is all kind of playing together. So I figured, why separate them and talk about them when really this is all part of the same scene? It kind of worked out that way. Bask in its glory. Yeah, here we go. I used to feel sorry for you. The blood relative of a narcissist sociopath. Permanent punching bag. Handcuffed to his wallet. But now, I can see you for what you really are. You're just the jellyfish version of him. Everything but the spine. A creature. 
agree to have the baby and go back to him. You really think he didn't know you were secretly using birth control? Of course he did. You shouldn't know when he'd find out. He knew him as well as I did. He replaced him with something else. You only thought you were taking birth control pills. He was always going to find you, no matter what he had to do. He needs you, because you don't need him. No one's ever left him before. But he's punished you enough now. Now that he knows you're the mother of his child, it's time to stop playing games. A new life with him can be given to you with one phone call. A life just like your old one with Adrian. Cecilia, you don't really have a choice right now. Right now, you're a murderer. But I can change that. Such a such a powerful scene between those two. Great tense scene. And for for context of people who haven't seen the film, in that moment, um, what what is what what he's doing is he's admitting right then and there that her her husband that everybody believes is dead is indeed alive, and the only way that she can get out of this psych ward for being committed uh, for murder is to is to sign this contract and 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 come back into his life it's her only way out at least at this point it seems that way so it's it becomes this big like raising of the stakes not really a, not necessarily a plot twist cuz you know what's going on but it's this thing that just raises the stakes and 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 uh, you know just gives gives the audience like no hope like oh man he's he's got her completely cornered and she finds her way out it's cool yeah i love that and i loved her line you know that you're you know you're yeah. just the jellyfish version of him just yeah. without the spine i'm just like oh that that hurts when you're because you know this guy has spent his entire life being compared to his brother who is the more successful the richer the the smarter you know all those kind of things and she's just like validating that with one little like stab at him like you're the jellyfish yeah. version of your brother just spineless so i'm just like oh that's yeah. that's oh that's like that's a that's a good dig yeah totally totally G great scene yeah absolutely great scene and there's so many man i could like i said there's so many great scenes in this movie uh i i could pick a lot of them uh best best scare in this movie uh and there were some good scares in this movie i gotta say uh what was the best scare for you in this movie well, so I put in my notes that the best scare is actually ruined in the trailer, which is the paint gag. So she, she's, it's the setup for it, which is, which is actually what I end up putting as the runner up for best scare is so good. Like the, the, the silence, the camera angles, like she's walking through the house. She's like, something is wrong. Something's not right. She's sure he's in the house, but she doesn't have any way to, to confirm it. She goes up into the attic. She finds his phone. Okay, he took pictures of me in my sleep. He's definitely here. Where is he? You know, like like all that builds up to this great like sense of dread and tension, and you're like, shit, he is alive. Okay, what next? And then she tosses a bucket of paint down, believing he's there, and 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 then he appears. He's like right in her face. It turns out he's invisible, right in her face. And the paint gag to me is the best scare, to, but it it never effectively worked on me because I saw it in the trailer. 
Yeah, yeah. Like I said, they they do give away a little bit too much in the trailer sometimes, but uh, but yeah, that was a great scare. And that whole scene where she's in the attic and she finds the phone yeah. and she finds her drawings and she mm-hmm. like you know finds everything she does. I mean, she finds like everything up there hidden in the attic, and it's just like the and it's so quiet and it's just again this sense of dread that's just like following her up to yeah. that place and you kind of see it coming, but you're like oh because again to me those are some of the best scary scenes when you know it's coming, but you you don't know you don't know when it's coming and so like yeah. they really ratcheted up in that moment and you're kind of like oh shit oh shit and then boom it happens and uh yep. yeah i agree they did ruin a little bit with the trailer but it still worked well in the movie yeah it's just so it's a well done it's a well done piece like i couldn't not put it there even though it, it didn't scare me yeah uh my best scare was a moment that i didn't see coming and it was so well executed man because like i said the invisibility gag, and and we're going to talk about our, our favorite invisibility gag uh, in this movie. And this is, I'll just, I'm going to again spoil spoil my my future answer. But my best scare in this movie is when Cecilia is out to dinner with her sister Emily, and mm-hmm. she's trying to like, co- you know, she's trying to convince her sister that like you know, this this psychopathic sociopathic husband of hers is coming after. Her. I mean, at some point in the movie, like you know, her, her 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 husband sends her sister an email you know, telling her what a shitty person she is. And like, you know, that kind of, you know, basically puts strain between them, but they finally go out to dinner. She's trying to explain this. And then out of freaking nowhere, a knife raises up and slits her sister's throat. And I was like, Oh shit. I did not see that coming in that moment. I I figured something would happen, but I didn't know it was going to escalate to that point in that moment. Cause it's a restaurant full of people. You don't expect it. You know, typically, Typically, horror movies are kind of quiet. They're they're kind of claustrophobic. They happen with one person or two people or maybe three people if it's like a haunted house store. Yeah. 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 This is a restaurant full of people. Everyone's around eating, talking, whatever. And you just, I just did not see that coming in that moment for him to slit her throat like that out of nowhere. I was that to me. And again, when I say scare, I don't mean scare as in like, oh my God. Like, it was just like a good jump scare. I was just like, oh shit. I did not see that coming. Total oh shit moment. I remember that too. I think the, the first time I watched it, like way back in February or March, whenever I watched it, <laughs> that moment was like, oh shit. Whoa. <laughs> like, like it, it's a, it's a really good out of nowhere scene. And then like the throat gets slit. You see the knife floating in there and then it goes right into Elizabeth Moss's hand. You know, yeah. like he, he frames her right then and there for the murder. It's super effective. Oh yeah. Super effective. And again, completely against the normal tropes of horror films. And again, I get it. You know, claustrophobic horror films, that's they're, they're, they're stable because they work so well. Yeah. Uh, you know, that sense of dread with one or two people in a room. But man, like I just, a, a restaurant full of people, I did not yeah. imagine that happening. And that was so well done. Anytime you can, cons- you can subvert the trope, you, you succeed in horror in anything really you can subvert any expectations in any type of movie but in horror films it becomes incredibly effective so yeah, that was a great scene I agree uh, best gore now we gotta preface this by saying this is not really a gory movie uh, no. if you're not like you know if you're not a fan of gore you're not gonna be grossed out by anything you see in Invisible Man but uh, what was the best gore in this movie uh, for me, it was when uh, she slits Adrian's throat in the final kind of showdown. Uh, she does she does exactly actually what you just talked about in the, with the with the dinner scene. She goes off to pretend she's gonna fix herself up after crying. She gets the invisible suit, comes back and slits his throat. 
in the same manner that he slit her sister's throat. Like it's kind of a poetic justice, if you will. Uh, and, and, and it's a really satisfying gore moment. Cause you're like, yeah, I want this fucking asshole to bleed out. <laughs> like, you, you know, you don't like him. You don't like the guy. You don't like anything he's done. So to see, you know, his neck kind of split open and the blood coming out, it's a particularly satisfying, not terribly gory, but just a satisfying gore moment because, you know, fuck that guy. Yeah. 100%. I agree. This was the best gore in this movie. And also, Man, I love the setup for this movie, the way they did that scene with her going off. And you know, I mean, you knew something was coming, but you yeah, don't know yeah. what's coming. And what I loved, have you seen the movie Gone Girl? The, uh, you know what I'm talking yeah. about? Okay. Yes. So totally. I, Gone, Gone Girl is a great movie. Great movie. And and that scene, and again, I'm not trying to spoil it. It's been out for like four years now. So if you haven't seen it, I'm sorry. But there's a great <laughs> moment where the, the girl in the movie, the woman in the movie realizes that she basically is going to go back to her husband who has been Affleck and she's currently living with Neil Patrick Harris, who is her ex-boyfriend. And she stages this scene to like set him up as like a guy who kidnapped her and raped her and, and, and basically was abusing her. And so she looks for like the security cameras and she sets this up perfectly. I mean, everything about that movie, watch this woman do it is like diabolical to the, to the ends of the earth. But, oh, she, yeah. but that scene in particular, she sets it up. And it's very similar in Invisible Man where Elizabeth Moss, you know, wearing the invisible suit, cuts this guy's throat and you see you sit with it for a minute. It's not a quick scene like her sister no. where she where it happens and you're like, oh shit. You sit with it. You see him kind of realize what's happening to him and you see him bleed out and you see him dying. And then you see her stage herself in the camera to like be seen to where she's like freaking out. You know what I mean? Like where she, yep. uh, where, Oh, it's so, it's so well done and, and so well shot. And you talk about how, how well shot this movie is. That is mm -hmm. like, that is the, the antithesis of that, that statement right there watching that scene unravel. Yeah, I know. Fantastic stuff. Yeah. All right. Uh, best invisibility gag. Now, again, I got to give credit where credit is due. This was a different kind of invisible man. Again, it wasn't a potion and some guy's drinking it. And then like, as he drinks yeah. it, he goes mad or some craziness like that. This was a, a suit, a technology suit, which where we're at in technology today, man, I'm not saying we're above making one of these freaking things one of these days, uh, because uh, this is, seems very realistic. This is very, very well done. So what was your favorite invisibility gag in this movie? Yeah. So obviously, you know, the whole point is he can be stealthy and, 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 uh, kill, kill people without them noticing or seeing or attacking people. And, uh, my best invisibility gag is when he attacks James, Elizabeth Moss's character's uh, good friend who's helping her out. He attacks James in his home. It's a really brutal beatdown. And the way, and, and again, camera angle, right? So the camera is kind of high and, and looking down on the, on the character of James as he's getting beat up by this invisible, uh, force and it's a really brutal kind of nasty and super effective and kind of scary. Like, it's like, damn, like, a, you know, he's grabbing him by his, I think it, he had a tie on or something. He's like holding him by the tie and he keeps slugging him over the face and, and hitting him and blood splattering everywhere. It was really good, super effective. And I wouldn't have thought of that. I wouldn't have thought of doing something like that. It was a really inventive gag. I dug it. Yeah, I, that was great. That was a great scene. And, and again, I think it kind of brings to the peril of this movie because James is like a cop. He's a big, physically intimidating dude. Yeah. And if you know, if it was if it was the if it was Adrian the guy versus you know James the guy, you know James would probably beat the shit out of Adrian. But you know, when you can't see what's in front of you and you're literally being kicked, you know, getting the hell kicked out of you by an invisible man, uh, it's a really, really well executed scene that kind of raises the stakes again because again. You're 
you're talking about a, a cop, a very physically fit guy, a big dude, and he's just getting, you know, just destroyed by this, you know, what he can't see, you know, it's, it's a very well done scene. Uh, my best invisibility gag goes back to the sister scene where the sister was killed just because I didn't see it coming. It was so quick and so nasty mm-hmm. to get her throat slit. And then the knife goes into Elizabeth Moss's hand. You're like, Oh God, but that's a very quick scene. So I'm going to say that's my favorite, but I'm going to give a runner up because it was a little bit more involved. And it was towards the end when Elizabeth Moss, when Cecilia is escaping the mental ward. And at that point she's damaged the invisibility suit. And so he's kind of like flickering in and out. And then that's yeah. when like the security guard, come in and they realize that somebody's there but he keeps flashing in and out of being invisible or not and he's shooting and taking down the security guards and it's mm-hmm. very much kind of like the scene with James in the hallway where he's just attacking it's kind of like that except with guns he's shooting people but it's just so well done because he kind of flickers in you see him for a second then he's gone and boom gunfire flickers again he's there to, you see the look on a person's face like oh god what is this and then boom hits yeah. them it's a very very well it's almost like something you'd see in a comic book movie but it's a horror yes. movie and it's very well done yeah super effective uh inventive uh yes yeah, sub- subverting all the ideas it was great like oh the suit's damaged like that was a cool idea i liked it yeah absolutely all right our last category of the night as we get here for the invisible man uh is this movie scary so patrick is it scary no i don't i didn't find it to be a scary movie at all it's incredibly thrilling which to i I think thrillers can often be in the same category as horror i think i made a a thriller short back in the day not to brag an award-winning thriller short uh but to me it it there was there was no um like horror like elements in it but there was it, it was it was completely thriller based and and the thriller is still the unknown it's still the idea of uh i don't know what's about to happen uh that that can scare you for some and but you know on the on a very serious level this is this can be a very triggering uh film for uh, someone who's de- dealt with domestic violence or an abusive relationship it can be triggering and terrifying in a very real way uh, but but for an average moviegoer who is fortunate enough not to have had had to have dealt with anything like that in their life, it's a thrilling movie, and you are on the edge of your seat the entire time. That counts for something. So is it scary? No, but it's damn thrilling. Yeah, I'm going to actually disagree and say it is scary because there are enough scary moments to where I believe it is a scary movie. I think that the opening scene when you're kind of seeing her escape and you realize what she's doing and then you know that like her husband's coming after her and then like that initial scare where you see like the guy running towards the window when her sister's sitting there in the car and you're kind of like drive will you please start driving will you press down on the gas pedal and go drive <laughs> and then the guy yeah. you know, smashes the window or whatever good there like I said the scene in the restaurant where the throat gets slit that scene the, the, the James scene where he's getting attacked again not it's not scary in that traditional sense but it is kind of terrifying and then the scene in the attic they build the dread very very well there and then again you know and i know you said like if you've gone through like an abusive relationship or something like that like you're right it absolutely is a triggering movie but i think there's enough scares enough jumps enough uh, enough dread you know lurking around the corner where you know he's there but you don't know where he's at that kind of thing I, i would have to say that for the typical audience it is a good scary movie is it is it the scariest movie no it was i watched this movie you know 
watching you know, like I did with certain other you know, really scary movies, like really great scary movies, no. But when I say it is scary, yes, because it's not one or two moments that kind of made me jump. There are quite a few moments where I was kind of like, ooh, what's going to happen? Or, you know, what's, where's he at? Like, you know what I mean? And that, to me, is, is mm-hmm. a sign of a good scary movie. It doesn't always have to be, like, truly terrifying, but there is enough, as you, you we've worked, you, we've used this word a lot tonight, but it's true, dread. There's enough dread in this movie yeah. to where it felt totally. like a good scary movie. So I would agree it's thrilling, but I would actually say it is scary uh, at, 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 right, at the right moments, and it's executed well, and so I would say it is a, it is a pretty good scary movie. I'm I'm gonna say something a little controversial, maybe, perhaps. I di- I didn't like the opening scene, and I remember both times watching it. The first time I watched it, it almost was like I'm not gonna like this movie. <laughs> I didn't like how the first scene laid out at all. I didn't like like I, I was like, oh, I see what they're doing. Like I see how they're kind of they're trying to develop. Like you know, she's sneaking out of the house, which that part I thought was effective. But at, but once she hits the road, like to me, it started to fall apart because again, right right away, the sisters, what's going on? What what? And, and she's like not getting in the car, and I was like, I don't know. Like this feels very cheap. Like if like a cheap horror film does that, and you're just like, okay, this is ridiculous. And then the guy runs up and he and he smashes a window, and I'm like, I don't know. I wasn't I wasn't buying it. Then the rest of the movie just was really good and really well done but for whatever reason i didn't i didn't even like that opening scene see i i, I thought it was a good setup because you kind of get you know, they didn't you know they didn't they didn't do a lot of it you know expository stuff at the opening you right know, you kind of no, no, totally. you kind of feel right away like she's trying to get you get the sense of what she's doing she's trying to get away from her husband it doesn't take a genius to figure out why she be trying yeah like it was you know you see it and so that's what i liked about it they didn't waste time you know like you didn't get a montage of like you know you didn't get like an opening scene where right. you see him like actually abusing her and then the next night she escapes because that would be to me that would be like the obvious choice like almost like let's hit the audience over the head with something so they understand what's going on here you know what i mean like you in a way you have to at least a little bit kind of figure it out you know you have to kind of figure oh wow okay she's escaping her husband and getting away and then like you and then they kind of reveal as the time goes on like why you know what i mean like in the beginning you don't really know why uh, and then you figure it out pretty quickly, you know what I mean? But I, I, I actually liked it for that point because, again, I'm so used to a lot of movies, a lot of like big, you know, a lot of uh, theater movies, a lot of the, you know, not the kind of like the art house movie theaters, but like the bigger theater movie theaters, uh, yeah. movies that they just kind of they beat you over the head with something to like get a point across. You're kind of like, okay, I get it, you know what I mean? Almost like talking down to the audience. And I like that they yes. didn't do that. No, absolutely. I, I like that they didn't do that with this movie. But I, I, I thought the story element of that of the opening sequence was actually really well done. I didn't I didn't think like the execution of this of the uh, visuals I didn't like and the the visuals and the acting in that first moment do not set the tone for the rest of the movie. It's it's kind of weird. Like it, it almost feels like an afterthought. Uh, that that's kind of more what I mean because I do like what you're talking about where it's like oh we have to piece things together. You know most of it was through images. It just for me it fell apart when she hits the road. And that and that's it's supposed to be like, you know, like he's almost like a monster, like sh- like literally shattering the glass in the car and trying to run after and all that stuff. That's the part that didn't work for me. But I did like I did like what it was attempting to do. Yeah, I did like that. They, they tried to save the dog, too. I like that part. So <laughs> she wouldn't she couldn't leave the dog behind. I enjoyed that. All right. Uh, overall, though, like I said, any any complaints I have about this movie would be very minor. I really enjoyed this movie. And what I enjoyed most about it was is that it was. Uh, 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 you know, it was on a small budget, $7 million, as we said, it's a very small budget, but it actually had a great cast, great director, great execution, great effects. 
Uh, this is everything you look for in a, in a good scary movie to me. I predict that because of the pandemic and, and what has happened, like it's going to change the face of movie theaters going forward. And this is our last the, the reason I'm going into this little digression is because we are on the last episode for the year. Um, I do think movies in the in the in the near future are going to take a page out of this this particular movie. You don't need a lot of money to make something that's super effective, interesting, engaging, thought provoking, um, water cooler talk. Like it's all there. It's all there. All the elements are. It's got action. It's got violence. Um, you know, the sexuality, it's got, it's got, it's got kind of everything you need in a movie and you didn't need to throw 150 million, $250 million at it. Like that could have easily been a $250 million movie. I think the mummy was probably up in the 250 range and it did nothing for me. I predict that because, you know, at least for the foreseeable future, I think most things are going to go to streaming. You know, studios aren't going to spend $250 million on a streaming film. They're not, right? Like, at least in the near future. They kind of have some things they got to work out in this next year and a half. I think we're going to see a lot more movies like The Invisible Man that are inventive and creative because they don't spend a ton of money because they know it's going to go straight to streaming. And it makes more sense. Like, even if it goes straight to streaming and it's pay per view, uh, a, a movie that's like six or seven or 10 bucks to rent at home you'll see your return on a $7 million movie as opposed to a $150, $200 million movie. So th thank you, The Invisible Man, for showing us what movies can look like going forward for the next couple of years. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think we're going to agree. Yeah, I agree. I 100% agree. I think we are going to see a lot more of that. And uh, this movie did a great job. And like I said, I wish I had been to the movies you know, 50 or 80 times this year like normal, but... Yeah. Uh, the fact that this was the last movie I saw in the theater, I'm okay with that because this was a great movie, a very well done movie. Uh, and if you haven't seen the invisible man run out and see it, it is well worth your time. Uh, very good. Very, again, I, I, it was a studio horror movie, which again, you know, obviously, you know, every, every film, every film comes from a studio, but like, this is like, you know, universal. So it's like a yeah. real big studio, but man, there was, this was so well done. Blumhouse really knocked it out of the park. Uh, Blumhouse obviously has become one of the you know, preeminent you know horror studios, uh, but they the re they really did a great job with this. And uh, overall, bravo to this entire cast and crew. They did a great job. You can watch The Invisible Man on HBO Max. Hi, HBO Max. If Shutter <laughs> yeah. ignores us. HBO Max, you're free. We're free to be your podcast if, if need be. They actually have a ton of great films on there. If for for anyone that's like looking for things to stream in this in this pandemic, HBO Max got a lot of good films. They do absolutely do. Yeah, if Shutter isn't going to take us out on a date, I will absolutely <laughs> cheat on them with HBO Max. I got no problem with that. I got no problem with that. All right, folks. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in each and every week uh, and obviously enjoying the podcast. We've been having a blast. This is our last show of 2020. Uh, and I want to say, man, we've had such a fun time doing this podcast. I, I tell Patrick this off the air and I'll say it now. Uh, when you start a podcast, you just never quite know what you're going to get. Even if you're even if you're friends with your podcast partner or you have a good rapport outside of the studio, whatever, you have no idea what you're going to get. Uh, we've been doing this show now for about three months, uh, obviously 20 episodes, and uh, man, I am having so much fun. I hope you guys are having a fun time listening because uh, I I fully intend on this show going a long ways because I have just had an absolute blast doing this. This has been, in a crappy year, this has been a real highlight for me. Dude, I couldn't have said it better. Uh, like, really, like, we started in October 
with a with a, a hope and a prayer <laughs> and and it and, and truth be told we didn't we didn't know how it was going to go we didn't have a ton of planning ahead of time we just knew we were two guys who love talking about movies and horror movies in particular and so uh we hope you're enjoying it and we have tons of stuff to bring you in the new year we got tons of new ideas um that are coming your way so uh stay tuned rate subscribe tell everybody that you know about this because uh, we, we love the fan interaction. You can hit us up and all that good stuff. Um, we're going to keep doing this. It's too much fun not to. Yeah, absolutely. So make sure you follow us on Twitter. I am at, I am at Damon Martin. You are at director Patrick. And if you have any film suggestions, anything you want us to review on the show, please hit us up. We are always happy to take those suggestions and talk to them and bring it on the show. Cause we love doing that as well. I uh, want to say a big thank you to everyone that tuned in this year. Subscribe this year. We got plenty more coming. I promise we got some great ideas and great things coming in 2021. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you for the next show. See you then. Peace.